This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hey everyone, it's Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am back with another episode of Coaching Questions. I'm joined again by another one of our fabulous coaches, Pam McRae. How are you, Pam? I am excellent today, Scott. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good because I'm talking to you. Uh, and, so... and I'm the same way. I'm talking to you. So this is great. <laughs> so Pam specializes in helping people through grief and loss while staying alcohol free um, and lear- talks a lot about the benefits of dealing with grief without drinking. Um, so Pam, I'd love it if you could just tell us a little bit of your experience with that and kind of kind of how that how that goes for you. Sure. Um so I've been alcohol-free now. Uh, it's just been over three years. I actually consider myself just a non-drinker. I like it's that. Just, there's, yeah. there's no alcohol-free. I'm just a non-drinker. And in the last year and a half, um, I've lost two best friends and my dad. Um, this past summer, um, in June, I lost a very dear best friend. And then uh, two months later, I lost my dad. So back to back heavy, heavy losses um, are difficult even for a non-drinker. Yeah. You know, you really have to dig in. And I started to think about it and think about the stages of grief that you go through that, you know, you Google grief and you come up with the five stages. And I realized that they are very similar to giving up drinking. And the coincidence I found were crazy. You go through denial. Um, you go through anger, you go through bargaining, you go through depression, and then you go through acceptance. Within these five stages, any of them can be felt or not felt. Yes. Um, either whether you're grieving or when you're giving up alcohol. For me personally, when I was giving up alcohol, I was giving up my best friend. Mm. This beer had been with me for years. It had gotten me what I thought was through thick and thin. You know, it had helped me when I was happy and excited and really ready to enjoy. And it had picked me up when I was blue. Um, Again, so I thought. (laughs) I really went through those stages. And then as I was going through stages of grieving um, this past summer for my best friend and then my dad, I was like, wow, the differences are just incredible, Mm. but yet so similar. Yeah. So I decided I was going to put all my energy and all my knowledge and my personal grieving into how to stay sober going through grieving. And my mantra is a feeling felt is a feeling dealt. I like that. Yeah. 
So one of the things, you know, I, in, in our programs and in people that I, with people that I've coached is so often I see them run into really any personal challenge, but grieving, particularly loss of a loved one. Um, I, and so often what I hear from people is sort of this idea or the sentiment of, I can't, I can't get through this without a drink. Um, and, you know, I, I have not had any major, uh, made, I have had some, some pretty big losses, but no, like someone really close to me since I quit drinking. Um, but I know for me personally, I couldn't imagine drinking while going through it. But what do you say to someone, Pam, who says, I can't do this without alcohol? Uh, well, the, the, my clients that I'm dealing with have already been alcohol free, even mm. if it's just for a month. Yeah. Um, so I sort of go back over the month with them and say, look at what you've accomplished. Like, look at yeah. how far you have come. You have gone through so much and made it this far. Let's get you through this pain. Mm. So I remind them of pain that they went through when they, you know, let a trigger go and it turned into a craving, but yet they overcame it. Yeah. You know, that powerful feeling. I remind them of how successful they've been and let them know that, again, I go back to a feeling felt is a feeling dealt. So when they're in pain of grief, I, you know, I do different things. I suggest they, they lean into that feeling. They cry, you know, jump yeah. up and down and visualize what tomorrow is going to look like because alcohol will not take that pain away. You yeah. cannot add a depressant to make anything feel better. It just, it does not work. Yes. Two plus two does not equal one. <laughs> that is true. So, and in working through them and with my coaching, it's a lot of um, sort of instant, I need you right now yeah. coaching, which works great. It works fabulous for me. I just, I love that. Um, and we actually end up, you know, we hop on a Zoom, we talk it out and by the end of it, it's like, okay, you know what? I can do this. I empower them again to say, you do have this strength. You, you know, you can do this. Yeah. It's tough. It's hard. A lot of tears, a lot of pain, but you can do it. It reminds me there's a, this quote is attributed to Robert Frost, but I think Marcus Aurelius also said it. It's, it, it, it's like, it goes like this, you know, the way out is through. And I think for me, you know, during my drinking years and, and with people I, I talk to, I don't think we actually go fully through, you know? So the idea of someone, you know, dealing with grief and loss while they're drinking, I don't think, I don't know if they're actually getting all the way through that, right? If they're able to really fully feel it, um, which in some ways, maybe in real time feels like a blessing because you're like, all right, I'm not feeling all of the pain. But the flip side of that blessing is the curse, which means you haven't actually process this. And, and that is so very true. I actually just took on a client a couple of weeks ago who is now mourning the death of her brother that happened six years ago. Oh, man. Because she didn't truly feel it. Yeah. And now that she's sober, all these emotions are coming up and it's just devastating her. And I said, okay, you know what? Let's, let's work together and we can get through this. And we're seeing, I mean, she's seeing the light now. We're almost at the end where Amazing. she's ready to actually accept that he has passed. 
even though he's been gone for six years. Yeah. You know, she's ready to say, okay, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, I'm, you're never good with it, with a loss. Sure. But yeah. you accept it and you learn to sort of carry on and again, carry on sober yeah. and not reach for that drink to numb yourself. I love it. This is amazing work that you do. And, and I have to say, you know, especially working with people who are already alcohol free, but looking for that support, you know, this is one of the reasons Annie and I talk a lot about the idea of, you know, needing to go through an entire year alcohol free um, because these things happen. You know, um, and during that year of firsts, there's a lot of good stuff that comes up, but there's a lot of hard stuff too, you know, and knowing that people, you know, have a coach they can, they can work with that'll help them get through that is, uh, is massive. So. Yeah. And grieving can be anything, you know, it doesn't have to, pardon me. It doesn't have to be a loss of a loved one. It can be a divorce. It can be a pet. It can be a job. It's whatever you are grieving for. And everybody mm. is so individualistic. Yeah. You know, if you're grieving, I can help you. I love that. I mean, I know when I quit, I, there was plenty of things I had to deal with, you know, emotionally um, that I hadn't. Um, and that's hard. So what do you say we jump into some questions? I got a few questions for us to answer. I would together. love it. Awesome. All right. Here is question number one. If alcoholic isn't the right term, then how do I describe my current state? How do I express that long-term I can't flirt with alcohol? It's like a relationship. I can't go back and start over. There's always history to contend with. It's not so much that it's a label, but a descriptor of a very real aspect of my life. At the present moment, alcohol does control my life. I'm not powerless against it forever, but right now I'm wrestling, I'm in a wrestling match with it. How can I explain this to people without calling myself an alcoholic? What a great question. I know. <laughs> uh, the term alcoholic, for me personally, I find it very outdated. Yeah. It, it brings up visions of someone living under a bridge in a sleeping bag, you know, that's mm -hmm. just so not right. Um, so I, I prefer the term um, alcohol, alcohol use disorder, which is sort of the, the new term now. Yep. But it affects everyone and alcohol is an addictive substance. There is no two ways around that. Yes. It, that's just, that's a fact. Sadly, it's a fact that we aren't told, you know, you don't have the warning labels on the bottle. You see the commercials with the beautiful men and the beautiful women and the gorgeous cars saying, this is going to make your life better. You don't see the after effect. Yeah. So in dealing with that term, I would suggest to um, this person that just change the term for yourself. You know, call mm -hmm. it what you want. If you don't believe that you suit that alcoholic, term or label, then change it up. Say, I'm addicted to an alcoholic substance. I'm addicted to a substance or just say, I don't want to drink because I want to be powerful. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that last one. Um, I think you hit it nail on the head. I mean, to me, the problem with the term alcoholic is the stigma that comes with it and years and years of conditioning that we've had. And, you know, both from advertising and movies and TV, just culturally, this idea of just literally think the word alcoholic and then look at the picture that pops in your head. 
um, it's, it, there's a stigma there. Um, and I think people really struggle with it. To me, you know, what, what I really started, what I work with people on is redefining not this idea of like, what is the label that I give myself? Like, what is the thing? Because to your point, Pam, you know, alcohol is an addictive substance, full stop. Like I'm convinced with enough time and enough alcohol, anyone's going to get addicted, right? I don't think we, you know, I don't think there's an addiction gene. Like I just haven't seen a ton of research and obviously there's a genetic component, but there's also components that are outside of genetics. So anyway, I, the idea of, oh, I need to label myself with this very often is accompanied with this idea of pulling down some shame and blame onto us personally. Um, and I don't see that as, as being that helpful in the process. Um, so what I encourage people to do when I coach them uh, through this process is just define themselves by what they want to be, kind of like what you said at the end there, right? I want to be alcohol-free. Or I want to quit drinking because it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't need to be a single word, right? You can just you can just define where you're going. Forget the label. Um, it's just uh, it's just I think it holds people back. Oh, it it holds people back, and yet we are so used to the shame and the blame and the guilt, because again, that is what's conditioned to us to make us feel. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, you drink too much. That's awful. You know, how dare you? Or we feel it within ourselves. You know, I wanted to stop it too, but I ended up having 10. Now, what have I done? Yeah. You know, so we put that shame. So remove that label, remove that shame, get rid of the guilt and take that first step forward without that label. Yeah. And the other super positive thing, I mean, so talk about cultural conditioning. Um, one thing that used to really drive me crazy when I first quit drinking was I would go, let me grab my coffee here and show you. So I'd go to someone's house and everyone's standing there and they're drinking. And then I show up and they're like, they're like hiding the, the booze, right? And I get it because culturally that's kind of what we're told. Like this person is sick, like don't drink around them. They want to, and they can't. Um, and I, for me, because I never used the term alcoholic to define myself. I've never said it, uh, you know. Uh, and so the idea of, you know, I, I think when we use these terms and when we tell other people these terms, we're actually bringing up that picture in their head too, right? So you can imagine going to, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner. And before you get there, you call your family and you're like, hey, I'm an alcoholic. What are they going to do? They're going to act, you know, in accordance with that stigma, yeah. as opposed to you showing up and just being like, I'm not going to drink today because I don't want to. Holy cow. It's a game changer. It changes everything. A huge game changer. And it also changes your, um, your persona of yourself. You know, mm. you can stand a little taller because you've taken that label away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just me. I just consume an addictive substance. Oh, well, you know what? And now I'm choosing to stop. I can stand tall with that. I love that. That's perfect. All right. Question number two. Here we go. I'd love to hear how people, uh, how the coach suggests managing a partner who is really not interested in cutting back. It's not a problem for him. If anything, the problem is me trying to keep up with someone who's twice my size, although I do think we would feel closer with less booze. This is obviously exacerbated by current events. We can't get away from each other. Now, 
Pam, I included, you know, I grabbed this question and made me think of you because I see this as a form of grief. Yeah. They are, and again, another great question. Um, the first thing I always say when individuals are struggling, especially when there are constraints around, you know, getting out or getting free time on your own, mm. uh, is to really set your goals for your, this is your own path. You know, you need to decide where you want to go and how you want to get there. And if alcohol free is the way, um, my first suggestion is always once you've decided that is to open up the doors of communication. Yes. And say, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to become alcohol free. And this is where my path is going to take me. And I would love your support. When you ask for others support, then it gets them involved and it's almost like they can become your cheerleaders. Okay. And it's not that we're going back to the, you know, a great example, the previous question that we just had where you're an alcoholic and you have to hide the booze. Yeah. But it's just like, I would like a little bit of support um, around when I choose not to drink, you know, and give me that kindness to say, that's great. I'm glad you're choosing not to drink. I'm going to have a beer. That's fine. But yeah. don't push that on me. Allow me to take my own path. I, that's so good. And it is true. I mean, you know, when one member of a couple quits drinking, it can change the dynamic of the relationship. I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone would argue with that. Um, I think that, you know, what I see way more often, you know, than, uh, than not is it changes things for the better. It, yes, it might feel a little weird for a while, especially in a relationship where both people have been drinking, you know, like if that's been your thing. Yes. Um, you know, this idea that like, this is what we do every night, you know, we sit down and drink together and maybe you're laughing together and you go on boozy vacations and you do all of this stuff in some ways, you know, the other, the other person in that relationship might feel like the person quitting drinking is like changing the rules. Um, and I, I can't emphasize enough how important communication is there. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, these two people are together because they love each other. So, and they don't just love the booze, but I think we end up so scared. Um, and, and this is where I think the grief part comes in too. Like we end up so scared of the relationship changing that we're almost already just planning for the breakup or the badness of it, right? We're mourning what was before anything is actually past tense, if that makes sense. No, and that makes total sense. And that reminds me too, when you're communicating, realize that the spouse or your partner is also, like you said, going through a bit of a loss. Am I going to lose yeah. this person because they're stopping drinking? You know, what is going to change? So you're both, you both need to communicate really clearly and really openly and honestly. Yeah. And, you know, show a little compassion to the other that's not stopping drinking and saying, you know, I'm not changing. I'm still the person you love. I still love you. I just don't want to drink anymore. Yeah. And let's navigate this path together. And then I would even throw in different comparisons. If I was coaching someone through this, so, you know, if spouses, one spouse gets a huge promotion at work and becomes just a top notch executive, nothing has changed in the relationship. Yeah. Just different duties have changed outside of that spectrum. So it's just another little example 
that, you know, we all go through change, especially as partners, we all grow and learn together. Mm-hmm. You know, life's path is not straight, as we all know. <laughs> yes, There's always going to be bends and curves. And let's just work at this bend together mm-hmm. and come out healthier and happier. I totally agree. And, you know, you saying the other person might be grieving too. That reminds me of a story. I was coaching in a group one time um, and there was a lady who asked a very similar question to this and we had talked about it and um, I had recommended what you did, you know, be open, talk about it with them, talk about how you're feeling. So she spent time, you know, getting ready and kind of getting her thoughts in order. And, you know, what do I need? Like, what do I want to ask for for support? And before she could actually have the conversation with her husband, her husband came to her and he said, listen, I'm really excited that you're quit drinking. I know, I know it's something you want to do. I agree. It's the right step, but I am really concerned about our relationship. And he came to her with that message of being worried about grief. Right. And this whole time she was worried that he wasn't going to want to change. And now he knows they're going to change, but he's worried about what it's going to be. And so often we look at, well, like you said, it's not a straight line. Um, and so, you know, understanding that there's two dynamic human people in this relationship and having a conversation is the most normal thing. It does feel nerve wracking, but the other person is feeling things too, even if they're not saying it. And especially if they're playing a very supportive role, they might not want to say that to you. You know, they might not want to say, hey, I'm really worried that you're going to change and we're going to get a divorce. I mean, not that they'd say it that way, but like, you know, because they don't want to throw you off the path. So by opening up that line of communication, it can be it can be a game changer. Communicating is key, you know, and just being open and honest with your feelings. Mm-hmm. It's a huge game game changer. I mean, that's how that's how marriages survive, yeah. you know, or partnerships survive. Yeah. Is by communicating. You don't see people that are married for 60 or 70 years that don't talk to each other and don't communicate. So right. this is just another step. Yes. Well, you don't see happy people who are married for yes. 60 years yes, and don't communicate. True. Good <laughs> as point. Soon as, you, as soon as you said that, an example popped into my head. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, but no, you're, you're spot on. Um, all right, let's go on to question number three. This is somewhat of a timely question. So we're recording this during COVID-19 and everything that's going on. Um, so here's a question. The question is this. So much has changed for me since COVID-19 hit. And I feel like I've lost my life. I still have my job, but I feel completely stuck at home. I am in early alcohol-free phase and I'm really starting to struggle. Any tips with how to deal with where I'm at right now? Wow, and this is so relatable to so many people right now during Mm. this COVID pandemic. Uh, What a great question. My first and sort of gut response to that is celebrate where you are. I mean, you have made it this far to be alcohol free during a pandemic, being stuck at home is just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And celebrate every little step that you um, continue to do to stay alcohol free. And then moving forward to keep you alcohol free. Uh, great idea that I come up with with a lot of clients that they love is to think back in the past of when you were a kid, little things to keep you that, you know, brought real joy and fun. Because again, as a kid, you couldn't go out and, you know, explore the cities or explore the world. You were basically stuck at home. 
Yeah. So find things. I mean, I rediscovered during COVID that I love coloring. That's I awesome. just love it. So yeah. I went on Amazon. I found some adult coloring books and I ordered some beautiful pencil crayons and I spend a night coloring. I just love it. Um, there are online courses, things to keep your mind busy and your body busy are really mm. key. Yeah. And staying active in whatever way you physically can or want to do mm -hmm. um, is also great. But I really stress just celebrating each day. Each day that you're alcohol free really boosts your brain and gets you smiling and carries you on. It's so much of what I've seen during this is people skipping that step, just skipping that. I have literally have people come up to me and they're like, yeah, I'm like only 60 days in. And I'm like, only six, that's amazing. Wow. You know, and then you ask the question, when was the last time you went 60 days? And they'll sit there and go, uh, I don't know. You know, and th they'll realize it was 20 years ago, you know? So yes, on the celebrating. And by the way, uh, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, this is one thing, particularly again, during the pandemic that I see a lot of is people are like, I'm really scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's big changes happening and we are, you know, in a sense, kind of going through this grief process of, you know, before pandemic and what's it, what it's like right now, it can feel very similar. Um, and I think acknowledging those feelings is really important um, because I, for a lot of people going into COVID, I think there was a lot of I'm gonna be okay, right? A lot of like soldiering on, a lot of like bearing down. And I remember, I mean, it was funny, Pam, you'll remember we had a virtual retreat with our coaches in April. In March is when things started closing down. And <laughs> I remember having a conversation, and this is funny to think about now, having a conversation in like late March and saying, man, should we, should we make that a virtual retreat or can we all still fly to Arizona? And it's like, oh no, it is gonna be virtual. And not only that, like it, this is gonna last for a long time. And so it's totally normal to have these sort of feelings. I experience them all the time. Oh. The key thing for me is that, you know, not making it not okay to feel bad, right? Make it okay for yourself to feel bad, but don't stay there. And I think your idea of celebration is the antidote to that. Like, yes, it's another day at home, but it's also another day alcohol free. I'm also, um, this person doesn't say how far in there, but you know, it's also two months for me today, or it's two days for me today. Like that's so important. And also I'll go back to my mantra a feeling felt is a feeling dealt. So you're dealing with the fear of the unknown and also being alcohol free, all of a sudden you're experiencing emotions yeah. that you have not felt be it happy or sad. Yeah. Because we've sort of, you know, we've sort of lived our life on a numbing line with alcohol. We're either too drunk to feel an emotion or we're too hungover. But in real life, our emotions do this. Mm -hmm. So not only are you going through a pandemic, but you're also starting to feel emotions that you, you have not felt. So again, it goes back to what you were saying, acknowledge it, feel it. You know what? I am kind of down today. Is there something that could pick me up? Yeah. Or maybe I should just, you know, maybe it's my body's way of saying, it's a great day to just put my feet up on the couch, have a bowl of popcorn and watch a good comedy on Netflix. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I'm reminded of something you said to me once, the idea of, um, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but the idea of like quitting drinking is really hard. So if you've quit drinking, 
you can handle this, right? That means you're strong. Um, I feel like it's so easy to lose sight of that. Yes. Yeah. And people forget, especially, you know, especially after a couple of months, they forget how difficult because the first week is tricky. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be downright ugly for some people, but you, you power through and you do it. So reminding them that they have this strength, you know, you have done this, look at what you've overcome. This yeah. is just a little bump, feel it, ride it out and carry on. And as you said, there's nothing wrong with feeling it. Don't stay there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, acknowledge it and move. I love that. Okay. It is time for the curveball question. Ooh. Are you ready? I'm I I got my pom-poms ready. <laughs> All right. What <laughs> this is a ridiculous question. Um w- Pam, what pizza topping best represents you? Jalapeno peppers. <laughs> Explain yourself, please. Uh, because you just, you never quite know how hot or how crazy they're going to be. <laughs> Sometimes you can, you can bite into a jalapeno pepper and, you know, it's like, oh, that's pretty mild. I, that's okay. I can handle that. And other times it's like, whoa, that one's got a kick. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. That's, that's kind of like me. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for being game for that. Um, and thank you for uh, hanging out with me today on the podcast. Oh, How you. can people uh, learn more about you, Pam? Where can they find you? Oh, I would love that. Um, my website is www.forwardfreedom.one. Nice. That is awesome. Thank you again for being oh, here. Thank you so much, Scott. It's just been my pleasure. And thank you to everybody listening. I will be back next month with some more coaching questions. Uh, You can find out more about Pam and all of our awesome coaches at thisnakedmind.com. Until next month, see you later. Take care. Take care, guys. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? (laughs) Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.